Welcome back to the Backcourt Brews and Sports Podcast. In this episode, we will be debating the worst rules in all of sports, making our picks for the NFL championship games, and talking about the greatest escapes in sports history. We will also discuss our visit to Escape Brewing. So grab your favorite beer and enjoy the BS. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome back to the Backcourt BS Podcast. My name is Jason Levy, and I'm here with... George Estrada, also known as Coach Estrada PE. And Drew Jenkins. How you guys doing tonight? Feeling good. Feeling real good. Got a little exhaustion, but I'm pretty pumped up to hang out with the boys over here. All right, let's get to it. So we got a lot to cover today, but one thing that I wanted to ask you guys, kind of a, a, a difficult question to answer sometimes, because there's probably a long laundry list of things that you could answer for this question. But what I wanted to ask you guys is currently what is your least favorite rule in all of sports of any sport? doesn't matter what sport it is. What is your least favorite rule or what do you think is the worst rule in all of sports? Um, And it'll tie into our next topic. So I just wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts and ideas on what the worst rule in sports is, and then we'll tie it into our next subject. So go ahead, Drew, what do you think? Ooh, you know, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I don't think you can definitively say that something's the worst because there's a ton of terrible rules in sports. But one that always has made me scratch my head is the two-minute warning in football. I mean, what purpose does it really serve other than stopping the clock and giving an advantage to a team? So I'm I'm not a fan of the two-minute warning. And the worst part of the two-minute warning from a fan's perspective is that you got to go to commercial during the most exciting part of the game. So I, does, I would put that up there. I agree that it does kind of ruin the flow of the game. You're you're excited. They're on, you know, usually they're on some kind of fast-paced offense, uh, marching down the field, and time's ticking down. Usually games are pretty close in the NFL, and you're just ruining all the momentum that you just built. So I kind of agree right. that the two-minute warning is kind of a downer. You know, like you, sometimes you'll hit a big pass for, for 20, 30 yards, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, commercial time. And you yeah, just kind you of know, lose all momentum that you gain. We've been watching so much football over the last couple of months that it's kind of a relief watching basketball when you just hear the announcer say, two minutes remaining. And it's like, yeah, cool. We didn't have to stop the clock. We didn't have to make everyone take a break or anything. We're still going because it's it's going down to crunch time. I'm sorry, Drew. I don't agree with you. I do give not me agree a, with give you. Me I actually reason. enjoy the two-minute rule. because Why? You go get a beer or something? Let me let me explain myself. Come on, man. You, I refuse. You're coming at me, and I'm going to tell you. I'm passionate about this topic. When you are watch, watching any game-winning drive, I'm talking, you know, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and I'm talking, you know, the greats, the guys that won those really nitty-gritty tight games. Um, you know, sometimes Philip Rivers, you know, hey, congratulations on a great career. Enjoy your retirement. But I'm talking about, when you're in that tight window and you don't have a timeout, I mean, it's kind of like a freebie. You know, you need that freebie. And it's also, you know, if the defenses are on their last legs, you don't want your defense to not have a chance because they're just worn down after, you know, the whole first three and a half quarters. I'm just saying that it is a fantastic as uh, a man that enjoys overtime and that game-winning drive, I love the two-minute rule. Look, George, I think you're putting yourself too much in the player's shoes here. you got to look at it from a fan perspective. Do you really like sitting down on your couch in the most exciting part of the game, and then they stop the clock at two minutes, go to a two-minute commercial, and then have to wait for it? Like, what? I don't, I don't get that at all from a fan's perspective. I'm talking about a competitive standpoint. I love competition. I want to see people have an opportunity, and you know what? If you run out of time, you run out of time. But that two-minute warning is your only and last chance. How many tight games have the Seahawks won due to their way to manage that time? Well, I hate you know? the Seahawks, so I, that just makes a better point for my argument. I'm just telling you that there's a lot of people out there that are superstar managers, mainly Patrick Mahomes, the comeback king of all. And I hate it because he did that against the 49ers. But I'm just going to say it. Here, that it is part of competition. You don't need to change that rule. The rule we need to change, the worst rule in football, is the going down and catching and keeping possession or making that football move and catching. You know who got screwed over the worst? 
one of the best players of all time, Calvin Johnson. I'm not going to say he's like the best of the world, but I'm just saying that he was enjoyable to watch. When you saw Megatron, I mean, and that ball was anywhere in his area, he was going to catch that ball. But that ball that he caught and then it touched the ground and then they took away that touchdown, you just hate to see it. So I agree. Or Calvin? No, Calvin Johnson. Both of, both of them had playoff catches. Well, actually, were the Lions ever in the playoffs? I don't know. Uh, but They were actually. They had one season with Matt Gisette. Okay, well, the, the, the one season that they went to the playoffs, they did have Calvin Johnson, uh, which I most of everybody that watched the game thought it was a catch, and they ruled it no catch because the problem is that is possibly one of the worst rules in all the sports is that the fact that nobody – can actually tell you what it is. What is a catch? Now, for me, I think they could simplify or simplify this uh, so much. And the way that they could do it is if you have possession of the ball and you have two feet on the ground, you take a snapshot at that point. Just take a snapshot, like almost any other thing in football. So if you're going out of bounds and or you know you're diving for the the end zone. You're going out of bounds. They're going to take a snapshot. Was that ball over the line? That's it. It's black and well, white. What, what, if you're what going qualifies for a, possession? If you're going because for you... a first down and you are you know, diving across the line, they're going to take a snapshot. Was that ball across the line? The only thing that we don't take a snapshot for is a catch. For me, if you have two hands on the ball and two feet on the ground, catch. Done. Take a snapshot. If you can literally have two hands or even one hand, if it's a nice one hand catch, but if you can determine that he was not juggling the ball, the ball was fully in his hands, two feet on the ground, take that snapshot. I think it's a catch. Now, when you start adding all these football moves, got to take two, three, four, five steps. He's got to survive the ground. That's when nobody can ever define it. And you know how many games we watch in, in tight situations where, you know, we don't know. Was it a catch or was it not? We, it's it's up to everybody else's interpretation. What's a football move? Well, I, I don't know. I agree with you, Jason. I don't know. I, I think they need to really dumb this down from the referee standpoint. They need to they need to look at it like any bum off the street would look at it. If someone if a bum off the street would say, Okay, it's a catch, then they should just call it a catch. They shouldn't get so involved with it with the ruling. I agree. The the whole surviving the ground thing is just crazy to me. Like um uh, you know, if if you have two feet on the ground, you have the ball in your hands, what does it matter if you hit the ground and it pops out? Now, I know there are certain situations where we, we'd probably have like 100 or 200 extra fumbles every single NFL game if we, if we did what I said, which is the snapshot, two feet on the ground, possession of the ball. <laughs> I mean, and then the guy gets popped before he takes three steps, which is, you know, what a lot of people say is a football move. You got to take three steps. For it to be considered a football move. So think how many extra fumbles we'd have, but aren't turnovers exciting in football? I think they are. I think I I think you just gotta understand, Drew. You yes. Just need the two minute warning. You need it. <laughs> it's part of the game. Well, Jordan, I'm, I'm a, dying on this bill. No, 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 I'm no. not I'm not getting off of this argument you, here. You I'll, I'll die on this bill. You can't argue that it's part of the game, so it should stay because that's what we're arguing right now. We're arguing the worst rules in sports. And rules that we think we should get rid of. So just because it's part of the game doesn't mean you need it. But for <laughs> me, totally unnecessary. For me, I let, let, I'm going to switch the sport up a little bit. To me, the worst rule in sports is the sixth foul rule in the NBA. Because I personally want to watch stars play. Okay. Of course. I want to watch LeBron play. I want to watch AD play. I want to watch Giannis play. I want to watch the best players. And when they get two quick fouls in the first five minutes of a game and all of a sudden they got to sit the rest of the half, that's the worst role in sports. Why are you taking superstars off the floor for ticky-tack stuff a lot of times? Well, that's where that's where the term star treatment comes from, though, isn't it? I mean, they get calls and they don't get called on many calls when they should. Isn't, isn't that right? LeBron James. That, yeah, that's exactly. The, that's the theory, but I've seen plenty of right. games where you'll see the ticky-tack fouls uh-huh. called early in the game and now the guy's got to sit when i mean what are we doing here now okay, i understand so th- like flagrant fouls if you're if you're literally going for a guy's head then you probably clear and did, obvious stuff you probably deserve to be out of the game 
I, I'm yeah. not going to argue that. And, you know, they got to control their tempers. But simple common fouls, and now we're going to make these guys sit? Like, you want to watch the best players in the world play. You don't want to see them sitting on the bench. So why not get rid of that rule and find something that we can replace it with? I've heard a lot of different rules. Maybe right. at, you still count fouls. So maybe after six fouls, it's an automatic two shots. I've also heard uh, even more punitive, two shots and the ball uh, out of bounds. So, I mean, if you got six fouls, you're, you're not going to be rushing to foul anybody if they get two shots and the ball because that could be four or five points. Um, well, so Jason, there's no advantage got- there. So I, I think it should maybe be penalized and maybe we got to find a way to kind of, um, you know, find a way to make sure that people aren't getting 10, 20,000 a game because nobody wants to watch that either. But I think we've got to find a way to keep our superstars, you know, in the game. It doesn't matter what sport, try to keep your superstars in the game. That's why we have the, the rules for the NFL with quarterbacks that we can't hit the quarterback too hard. We got to hit them, you know, with pillows because, right. That would ruin the game. We want our superstars in the game. So why isn't it the same in basketball? Let's find a a better system for keeping guys from just fouling all game long. I don't know. To me, that's the worst rule in sports. I'm going to just say that uh, the NBA doesn't – they're not in a rush to change that rule. I mean, for competition, absolutely would be better if if you rotate and that sixth and seventh and eighth foul become like a technical one. Or something like that. Something something simple, you know, where they get that free throw plus possession. You know, something simple like that would work. But, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You- but when you're playing against James Harden and you're playing against the guy that gets calls all the time, I mean, the guy – and oh, the niftiest guy also, Stephen Curry. I mean, those guys have the huge advantage when the big boy that can't move, like Dwight Howard, you know, he, he's going to get those fall, uh, those fouls called on him all the time. So you just have to be ready to move your feet and, you know, take a charge if you need to. Well, I don't I don't think we want these guys thinking too hard during the game. We want them to play physically from a, from a fan's perspective. Again, we we want to see some if they're going to foul. We want to see a hard foul. We want to see a little scruffle, maybe even a fight or something. I think I, I kind of like the idea of maybe fouls per quarter or something. Or I, I like what you're saying, George, after six fouls, it becomes a technical and then it maybe resets down to three or something. But um, I, I don't want these guys thinking too hard, thinking, oh, if I foul this guy, you know, it's going to be shots plus the ball. I want them playing hard and scrapping a little bit. Yeah, but if if you're literally going to foul out, they stop playing defense altogether. Where if, if no, you I, say, I agree with that. If you say, you know what, uh, the guy's dribbling down the lane, he's going to get a basket late in the game, two minutes left. You know, I'm going to take that foul and give him the two shots plus the ball because I'm not going to give up the easy layup. But at least he's going to play some defense versus just, uh, you know, I can't pick up the sixth foul or else I'm going to be out of the game. I'm just going to basically be like, uh, you know, one of those bullfighters in uh, Spain where I'm just, you know, lift the thing away, let him go right by you. Yeah, but once once you start implementing uh, uh, shots and the ball back, that turns into a five-point play. Doesn't that entitle them well, to you- do the do – the, the bull thing and just let them go. Okay, but then the, at least your star stays on the, the floor. So if he commits right, but that it, foul, but it doesn't, he's not going to do it. Doesn't, it, it does d- deter him, doesn't it? It doesn't. It doesn't help your argument of of playing good defense, though, because if they're going to get, if it's a five point opportunity, then they're. But they if might it's as well a, just let him go. Well, of course, but like I said, if you want to keep your superstars on the floor, which I do, I always want to keep the superstars on the floor. Of course, the the fact that. You're not going to be out of the game because of it. You're just – it's punitive. So that's what I'm saying is you can't have a rule where you can get as many fouls as you want because then guys are going to be picking up 20 fouls a game. The game's never going to end. They're going to hack Dwight Howard and play Exactly. Like but as but if it's you know punitive but you're not taking them out of the game, I'm all for it. Where sure. uh, you know the current rule, there's no defense. And then if they somehow play some defense and commit a, a silly foul at the end of the game, now – you got your superstar sitting there in crunch time, last two minutes, overtime. They're out of the game. It's it's kind of ridiculous to me. But um, the reason I brought the worst rules <laughs> in sports up is because there was a debate about one of the games that happened this weekend uh, in the Chiefs and Browns game. So just to set the stage a little bit, Rashard Higgins, uh, rookie receiver for the Browns, catches a pass and is running towards the end zone and dives towards the end zone trying to get a touchdown 
And it, a lot of people are complaining about a helmet to helmet hit, which it could have been as well. But that's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about him reaching for the goal line. He gets hit. He fumbles the ball and it goes out of bounds without anybody recovering it. And the Chiefs get the ball. So instead of the Browns having the ball at the one yard line, having a chance to score, now because of his effort, now the Chiefs get the ball going the other way and they lose an opportunity to get seven points. And a lot of people are saying they got to get rid of this. Now, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I'm in the same boat where it's hard to, you know, penalize a guy for giving effort like that. If you're going to die for the end zone um, and and give it your effort, you you know, all your effort to try to score a touchdown and somehow the ball gets jarred loose, does not recover it, and it just goes out of bounds anywhere else in the field, you just get the ball basically wherever you fumble it. If you fumble it forward – then they bring the ball back to the, the spot where you fumbled. They place the ball and you continue on, uh, except for in the end zone where it now is yeah, the other of... ball. So I've heard a couple different ways that you could, um, you know, alter the rule just a little bit where maybe you, you do go back to wherever the ball was fumbled and that's where you get the ball. Or I've actually heard another one where you go back to the 20 yard line and you get the ball at the 20. So it's still, uh, kind of rewards the defense for may- maybe making a good play, but it's not literally taking the ball away and creating a turnover when the defense never actually recovered the ball. So Don't I'm going think... to let you guys talk yeah. a little bit. I'm gonna, I am gonna want to get your your uh, your thoughts on this rule. I think it should be more like a pass interference in the end zone. When when there's a pass interference in the end zone, where where do you get the ball? The one yard line. Half the, the one half the distance to the, the half the distance to the goal or the one or, yard or line. The, the one yard line. Yeah. You get the one yard line. So if you're if you fumble the ball, look, you did all the work to get to the end zone, and then the bar the ball got knocked free, just like you said, Jason. In any other circumstance, if you fumble the ball out of bounds that's not in the goal line, you get the ball where it was fumbled. So I don't I don't see why they don't just treat it like a pass interference call. I don't know how I feel about putting it back of the twenty. I mean, I get it. But um, it, it feels kind of like an arbitrary number there when you could just put it at the one yard line for the rewarding the guy for making it down the field or wherever he fumbled. If he fumbled at the five, you put it at the five. Right. But, oh, right. Because it could still go out of bounds from that spot. No, I, yeah. I agree with that. So not necessarily at the one yard line, but like right, like you said, where the fumble occurred. But if the defense never recovers the fumble like anywhere else right. in the field, why should right. you lose the ball? Yeah, just that's kind of a harsh rule. Yeah. Now, and, that, and that really changed. Browns, it really changed that game. Sorry, George. Go ahead. I agree with you 100, percent Drew. It did change the game. Browns lost the game because of that call. I mean, that was a pivotal moment in the game. It, the, the Chiefs did not like dominate the game. You know, that first half must have been some of the dullest football I've ever seen. I mean, it was punt city after punt. But I'm going to tell you right now, I feel awful. For anybody that 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 is a Cleveland Brown supporter, I mean, you, you go into the playoffs, you're looking exciting, you got some electric players all over the field, you're missing key pieces, offensive line, a big wide receiver, and and you're still competing for a chance to go to championship weekend, and that play stole the game from them, and as I predicted, which, which we'll talk about later. I knew the Browns would keep it close. I told you to bet on the Browns, and I was right on the money. But very unfortunate that that rule just steals all the momentum because you could be on the half-yard line and fumble that ball, and if it goes on to the outside of that end zone, I mean, really? You know, and and I just I feel awful for the Browns coach because he could have thrown that red uh, – you know, he could throw the red flag down and challenge because if you look at the, the exact play, Chris Sorensen, it looked like targeting because it is – or, what you know, head-to-head. Con, well, you know, in the, in was, the NFL, was, I don't think you can review that. But there, no, you cannot but review it. The, but the thing I mean, is, it's, let's, not, let's not pretend that the, it was an injustice in the fact that the play was not called right because that's not the case. The play was called correct. The pro the the issue here is is it a stupid rule, which to me it is. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So I think we got to bring that ball back to where the ball was fumbled, and give the offense the possession unless the defense recovers the ball because that's where it is anywhere else in the field. I don't like changing rules 
for certain areas of the field. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. So um, the reason I brought the the whole uh, thing about rules was I wanted to talk about that and how much it affected the game. Also, what clearly affected the game and why it was so close was because Mahomes didn't finish it. Um, honestly, one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen. It didn't even look oh, like he, he got hit in the head. He never hit his head on the floor. It seemed like a regular tackle, and he definitely woke up uh, not knowing where the heck he was. I mean, he couldn't he, he couldn't yeah. really stand on his own. Looked a little bit woozy, um, but it looks like he's on track to play. But I think we have to give some credit to Chad Henney and the way he stepped up in Mahomes' absence. Yeah, man. Literally, like two or three plays before that happened, I in my head I was like. The only chance the Browns has is if Mahomes gets hurt. And sure enough, again, like you said, they show that replay probably four or five times, and it didn't look like anything crazy. The only assumption that I, I, the only conclusion I can come to is that he got wrapped around his neck and maybe messed with like some, I don't know, main artery or something, shut some blood flow off to the brain. I have no idea, but he came up like it was the clearest looking concussion. He, he was either that or he was breakdancing. I couldn't tell. But it, it was rough, man. Like, it was hard to see one of the most likable guys in the NFL and obviously, like, one of the best players in the NFL. Uh, to go out like that in a playoff game, was it was pretty sad to watch. But, yeah, Henny, Henny was great. I think I think uh, when it comes down to it, you know, the NFL player is going through a car crash every single game. Uh, and it's all the accumulation of little hits here, little hits there. His toe was not 100%. I mean, he just couldn't move the way that we see Patrick Mahomes dominating play after play after play. And when you're playing hurt, uh, you're, you're, you're in a recipe for disaster. And, 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 and you know what? Huge credits to Chad Henney and Tyreek Hill. I mean, just the, 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 the way the Chiefs played is championship football. Um, now, we're going to find out. If, if Patrick Mahomes comes back and his toe's not bothering him, I see the Chiefs struggling to beat the Bills, but they they will be within three. I I just I just you know I just know and I hope that uh, Patrick Mahomes has a full recovery. But you, you're just looking for for trouble when you put in your best player hurt in an option play, which did not need to happen. My favorite my favorite um, quote from the game was "Anything is possible." A little bit of play on Chad Henney's name because um, I thought he played spectacular, except for one really really bad throw and yeah. they always say that a backup quarterback is going to eventually show you why he's a backup quarterback at some point <laughs> and i think that was it but that uh run he didn't get the first down and it looked like he he did but they didn't give him the first down on that run right at the end of the game that um, third and 14 but talk about putting a team on your back literally in one of the most difficult situations a playoff game looking to go to the title the the uh, afc title game and you just you you turn your Lamar Jackson on and try to put the team on your back get the first down. They didn't get it. And credit Andy Reid for his play call on fourth down. I thought it was brilliant. Wide open, easy first down, game over. And a lot of a lot of coaches wouldn't have the uh cojones to to make that call at that point in the game. And I I don't think Andy Reid has ever in his career shied away from taking chances and, and going for it. And I think that's what makes him one of the best coaches in the game today. Yeah. Huge credit to Chad Henney. That first of all, that, that third and 14 run was just straight stones, man. That guy for him, not, not a mobile quarterback by any means to take that run and, and get right there at the inches line. And then again, man, that, that fourth and one, that's look, it's an easy throw, but in, in the heat of things and you're a backup quarterback, it really isn't. So Props to him getting that throw off. That was a huge call by uh, Andy Reid, and I respect it. I respect both of them. So as as far as the other games go, um, one of the games that really, really surprised me was the Bills-Ravens game and how ineffective basically both teams were on offense. Um, right. We came in on the podcast last week saying how high scoring of a game it was going to be and Josh right. Allen and Lamar Jackson. And we talked about all these offensive weapons and – Literally, both offenses didn't do much of anything. Uh, final score is seventeen to three, um, and it, it it just was kind of a boring game, uh, kind of an old school style defensive struggle football game, which to me was probably the most surprising of any of the games, just because we expected such fireworks from both offenses. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, people are giving Lamar Jackson so much credit for winning his first playoff game. And, you know, before that game against the Titans, they were saying, you know, he's, he's not a playoff quarterback, this and that. He goes out, beats the Titans, you know, it was a good game. And then he comes out and what does he do against the Bills? I mean, he kind of showed us what everyone was, all the critics were saying before that Titans game. Um, however, on the other side of things, the Bills, very disappointed in them. You would expect a lot more. I know against a good Ravens defense, it was tough for them, but... I think if the Chiefs show any signs of life on defense, even with the 50% Pat Mahomes, uh, the Chiefs are going to have an easy time beating them. I, I think you got to give huge credit to Lamar Jackson trying to do everything he could in his power. But when when you just aren't having – I mean, what, what has he been saying all year? Too predictable, things like that. And the Bills' defense read them like – uh, children's book, dude. They played some <laughs> great defense. They got all these great pieces out there. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, Lamar getting hurt ended the game and the season for the Baltimore Ravens. But huge credit to Bill's Mafias. Bill's Mafia are the huge fan base for the Buffalo Bills, and they've donated lots and lots of money to Lamar Jackson's uh you know, huge nonprofit that he works with. And it's just a credit to the Bills Mafia just understanding that, you know what, above football, you know, we are great, classy people. And, you know, that that's that's a big reason why, why I'm supporting the Buffalo Bills to the Super Bowl. And uh, I hope they, they do it because they're exciting to watch. They play defense now. And, and, you know, they have all these offensive weapons. Obviously, the Bills didn't show you offensively what they can do. But what wins you championships? Defense. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Defense I, wins I, championships, except if you're the Rams and you're going against Aaron Rodgers. Um, they stood no chance in that game. Uh, like I said, Jared Goff, he was going to be Jared Goff. Um, if, you're relying, if you're relying on Jared Goff to carry you, though, you, it's not going to happen. And when you're going against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones – uh, Dylan, all the weapons that they have, Valdez Scantling, all the weapons that the Packers have, and you're relying basically on your defense to hold them. But when Jared Goff has got to score at least 32 on the road to to beat a team in the cold and the wind and everything that comes with playing in Green Bay, you're not going to be set up for success. And I, I thought the defense would show up a little bit better than they did. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you got to tip your hat to Aaron Rodgers, uh, one of the greatest to ever do it, and and possibly the best quarterback in the game right now. It's it's between him and Mahomes, probably, um, as far as like one A, one B. Um, but defense doesn't always win because the Rams had the number one defense and the number one offense picked them apart. Yeah, I think you're trying to write Jared Goff off as terrible. When all right, after one week of surgery on his thumb, yes, he was terrible against the Seahawks. Defense pulled it out for him. Add one more week to that. Two weeks after his thumb surgery, he looked fine, man. He was completing a ton of passes. He only had like four or five incompletions the entire game. I mean, it really was the defense that didn't show up for them. It wasn't Jared Goff's fault. He was making the throws he was supposed to make. I think the offensive line could have done a little better, giving Cam Akers uh, some more room to run. But, I mean, listen, this this Packers defense can study with the best of them, and they know what the Rams' strengths are. They probably weren't as focused on Jared Goff and more focused on Cam Akers. The biggest play that really just – as a Rams fan, just made me so upset was Aaron Donald, the leader of the team, man. This guy is the definitive number one defensive player in the league, and he's going to go and make a bonehead foul, a personal foul, unnecessary roughness on that Jenkins guy. Listen, love the Jenkins name, but ah, come on, man. You can't be doing that stuff on third down. You're about to get the ball back, and you're only down by one score. That was just that- a- Dumbest that penalty, a... and I, I was so disappointed in Aaron Donald. And listen, guys like that don't make stupid plays like that. And I was just so upset. He lets people get under his skin too easily, and that, that it just shouldn't happen. That was a shock to me. Um, of anyone in the league that I would least expect that from in that moment, it was Aaron Donald. And who knows? You know, we don't know what actually was going on on the field, but you it doesn't matter. To, you have to keep your composure in that situation. And he didn't, and I, it, I don't. You're not gonna say that it cost them the game. There was a lot of things uh, that didn't go their way that day, but that certainly didn't help. 
Um, and I think that's why the Rams are is sitting watching the Packers play next week I, against the yeah. Bucks. And I think it was I, a turning point. Was I was I the only one that picked the Bucks last week? No, I picked uh, the Bucks as well. Okay, you picked the Bucks as well. But I knew Tom Brady and those weapons was going to be too much. But the I guess uh, it wasn't really Tom Brady and the weapons that made the difference. It was more the Bucks defense showed up uh, for the first time against the Saints, um, and they gave them twenty points, but. Uh, for me, I, I thought they stepped up when they needed to, and I would give most of the credit for this game to the defense. I give all of the credit to that fumble, uh, horrible, horrible fumble by the tight end by the Saints. I mean, Brandon, it was his Jared, name Brandon. Jared Cook? Cook. No, no, Jerry Cook. Jerry Cook. I mean, I mean, talk about the play of the game to change all momentum right there. The Saints were up by seven. I mean, they were looking like they were going to at least get a, a, a field goal or a touchdown. And, and, I mean, they would have been up by 14, maybe 10 points, and then the game would have been in the refrigerator. But that play happens, and like you said, that defense stepped up, and, and, and that changes games. Back to the game before that we were just talking about that I didn't get a chance to speak on, Alan Lazard, the Lizard King. I mean, this guy is a juice uh, <clears throat> connoisseur. So if you look up his, you know, his, his, his pages, he loves all the juices. But Alan Lazard showed up, I mean, that big touchdown, I mean, catching it like a man. Um, and, and I, I you know, got to give him credit. So, Drew, what do you think about the Saints and uh, the Bucks? Do you think it's more Saints falling apart or the Bucks balling no, out? No, man, I, I, I think, you know, going into the game, it was announced it was going to be Drew Brees' last season. Uh, and he's going to retire. So I don't see how the Saints fell apart at all. They're probably playing as hard as they could. It's just a matter of the Bucks, Like you guys said, the Bucks defense, man. Devin White and Levante David, probably the best uh, linebacker duo in the entire league. I know linebackers don't get talked about a whole lot, but when you have game changers like them, it really does matter. Um, their corners are great. Their safeties are great. They have a great line. I mean, their defense really stepped up. And, I mean, I talked about it last week. Uh Tom Brady in the playoffs is a different man than Tom Brady in the regular season. I mean, he made some throws that needed to be made, and the Saints didn't. It's as simple as that. I agree. Yeah, so uh, here on the Backcourt BS podcast, uh, it is brews and sports. We've talked a lot of sports. We haven't talked a lot of uh, brews yet, so let's go ahead and get oh, yeah. some brews. Um, we never, we never my... do a Ready? podcast without drinking some beer while we're doing it. So, uh, George, tell us what you're drinking. Oh, I got this fancy, sophisticated beer. It's called Dirty Beaches by Scofflaw Brewing in Atlanta. This is a 6.3 tropical wheat, um, and it's it's fantastic. I let me get some aromas. Hmm. Oh, very enjoyable smells. Hmm. That sounded delicious, George. Oh yeah, this is great. Oh man, uh, yeah, this is easy going down for six point three. Highly recommended if you go to Atlanta. Scofflaw Brewing, Dirty Beaches. Oh yeah, and it has, you know the, the 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 can is beautiful. It has all these little pink flamingos on there with some some antelope uh, skulls. <laughs> we'll have to put it up on the Instagram. And if you haven't checked it out. Check out that backcourt BS Instagram and uh, hit hit like. Go ahead, uh, Drew. What do you think? What What are you drinking? Yeah, today I got the Golden Road Balboa Balboa Blonde. Excuse me. Took this one camping with the boys and it really didn't miss. Uh, it's got a four point eight ABV, so it's not going to put you on the your butt, kind of like what I'm usually looking for. But it is really tasty. It's a uh, California American Blonde Ale. Uh, again, I said it's from Golden Road Brewing. Uh, it's generally offers a a pretty approachable combination of flavors and, and aromas. Uh, there's really no over-the-top characteristics. Sometimes it is referred to as a golden ale. Um, they can occasionally have like some honey uh, taste to it, some spices or fruit added. But a uh, real tasty beer, really easy going. It's not going to put you down too quickly. Sounds delicious. So I've been on the uh, Modern Times uh, beer train the last couple weeks. Last week I did a sour from them and this week i'm doing what's called the citrical band it's a hazy tropical ipa um probably more along the lines of what you're used to or what you like drew uh it's got a uh, 6.7 on the ABV oh, yeah. and only 60 ibus so it's not too bad not too bitter actually uh, it seemed a little more bitter than that on the first sip um but as i keep going along i'm getting a lot more fruit forward 
on that first uh, couple sips and just kind of like uh, kind of getting that drool sensation with that, that citrusy and really kind of a little bit of tartness. And then that those uh, hops hit you on the back end with that bitterness, um, but not too, not too bitter for an IPA. Uh, it's got a lot of tropical notes, like I said, and I highly recommend uh, checking out the citrical band from modern times. Um, yeah, so that, Jason, I, you know, I, I wish they would replace the ABV percentage with just like the amount of flights of stairs you can get up before you fall flat on your face. So like two, <laughs> two flights of stairs is like kind of the beer that I'm looking for before I fall on my face. So that's just an idea for all those beer companies out there. You know what? For the, for the average beer drinker out there, I don't even know if they know what ABV is. So we always say ABV, what, ABV is alcohol by volume. So it's the percentage of alcohol that's in any um, beer. And usually your standard basic beers are going to be around 5%. Anything above 5%, you're getting on the stronger side. Anything below, you're feeling good. Anything below, you're, you're having to drink 10 <laughs> of them before you feel anything. Anything above ten percent, we're talking about. I think Drew's about... scale is a little bit better for your average drinker. I think we got right? something here, right? What are, we what got are something all here? these, you know, these difficult scientific terms? Why don't we just say, "Hey, how many beers, flights of stairs can I climb before I fall over if I drink this?" So, listen, I... it takes it takes years before you figure out that six percent is going to mess you up, man. Just give them the flights of stairs, and you're good. You know how how many meters can I walk in a straight line? <laughs> before I'm tumbling over and getting arrested. You know, that's what I, that's what everyone really wants to know. I agree. So uh, moving on to the uh, games this weekend, um, looking ahead, let's, let's see uh, who can pick the two, two games correctly. We got the bills at the chiefs. Um, for me, I think if Patrick Mahomes plays, I got to go Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reed and all the weapons that they have. Um, I got to go Chiefs. I I think this game will be a little bit higher scoring than the the Bills Ravens game, but if there's one thing I've learned, uh, don't pick the overs in any uh, playoff game. <laughs> You're gonna get burned if you start picking mm-hmm. overs. Um, so I, I think it it might be under the the total, but I still think it'll be right around there. Um, it's gonna be a high scoring affair. Chiefs are just you know Usain Bolt on offense. They go quick. They score quick. And the Bills are going to have to play some good offense to keep up with them. And so uh, I take the Chiefs. Um, I think it will be a close game, though. Yeah, betting the unders are so boring. But you know what? Usually it works out in your favor. Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I I think if the uh, Chiefs show any signs of life on defense, uh, they're going to have a pretty easy go at it. Uh, More experienced players on the Chiefs. And they have Pat Mahomes. Even if he, again, I mean, I've said it already. If he's at 50%. He's still better than any quarterback out there. Um, I'm going Chiefs all the way. I don't know about the over-under, though. Over-under is 54. So I I'll go under on that, yeah. Over. Oh, sorry. I'm going over, and I'm going Buffalo Bills. Oh, shock George, the world. What did you just say? I'm sorry, George. I cut you off there. But I said I after hearing that over-under with a not 100% Patrick Mahomes, I would, I'd probably take the under. Hey, I could see this game going 38 I'm praying, George. I hope so. Some crazy numbers like that. I could see Buffalo going at it, and and if Pat Mahomes is in there, I think it's going to be exciting. I think there's going to be ah oh, just great plays all over. Come on, you, you got to admit <laughs> that Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, those guys are top notch caliber players. I mean, those might be the top two guys in their positions. And then you even got Stephon Diggs on the other side, who's uh, leads the NFL and all kinds of stats. I mean, targets, receptions. I mean, that, that that guy is a beast. I could see the Bills balling out, but it really—I think this game comes down to the running backs, and I think the Bills are gonna—they're gonna have some good plays. What do you think? If you Jason, think on that final, if final you think note? this game's coming down to the running backs, then you shouldn't be picking the Bills. <laughs> hey, <laughs> because I'm the Devin Bills. Singletary, Dev, baby, Devin Singletary. If you put any money on that guy, you are going to lose and you're going to cry your, yourself to sleep that night because I have done it several and times why. and I have had the same <laughs> results happen to me. Um, but one thing I in sports, pretty much any sport, um, there's, there's kind of this progression you have to make through the playoffs and the Chiefs did it before they won the Super Bowl. And pretty much anybody who's, who's won it in any sport, you kind of have to go through this progression where, you know, first you're going to get knocked out in the first round. Then you're going you're gonna to win a game. You're going to get knocked out in the second round. Then you're going to make it to your first 
championship game and you're going to play someone who's probably been there before and you're going to lose that one. So I think maybe the Bills are one year short of their progression. I think this is the first time in my lifetime, I think, that they've been in a championship game. So I think they're they're one year away. Um, I think they can keep it close. But the Chiefs and their um, their experience being in this position, I think, is going to take them over the top. Now, nah, Bill's all the way, 100%. No doubt in my mind. Now we're going to come down to the matchup of the ages. I'm talking about six-ring Super Bowl winning, one of the greatest of all time, if not the GOAT, Tom Brady versus uh, undisputed bad ace guy. I'm going to talk about one of the greatest of all time, A.A. Ron Rogers, the championship belt. I mean <laughs> – Guaranteed, both Hall of Famers, no doubt in my mind. I can see this solidifying Aaron Rodgers as one of the greatest of all time. I don't think there's a better slinger of the ball than Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady has had more success. But I think the most pressure on any quarterback this weekend is not Josh Allen, not Patrick Mahomes, not Chad Henney, not Tom Brady. It is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the world is choosing and loving on Aaron Rodgers, they think that he's got it all figured out. But I think it's a team game. And I think Packers still win this game, but there's a lot of pressure for for Aaron Rodgers to get his second ring before they can put him up to that next echelon of players. I think he will do it. I think Tom Brady's defense is, is going to help him out big time, but I think the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers will win. And it's, it's going to be really close. I mean, they're only – favored by three points, which means there is no advantage because that is what you get when you have a home field. So I think Packers are going to keep this game exciting. But uh, what do you guys think, Drew? Yeah, over the course of the season, and I, I know you've been doing the same thing, George, listening to the Pat McAfee show with, with Aaron Rodgers on every week. I've I've become such a huge fan of his and watching him destroy the Rams. It, I mean, it hurt, but at the same time, I was really happy for him just because Again, over the course of the season, we've gotten a chance to really understand him and how he works and how he doesn't take himself too seriously, but he takes the game very seriously. I mean, you're talking about a team from Tampa coming down to the frozen tundra in Green Bay. I mean, we just saw Aaron Rodgers light up the number one defense in the league. What do you think he's going to do to this team? The way he throws the ball is so much more effortless than it looks like when Tom Brady's throwing the ball. It it looks like he has way more years left in him than uh, Tom Brady I'm rooting hard for the Packers, and I also think once I take my Aaron Rodgers hat off, I'm, I also think that they're going to take care of business on Sunday. For me, I think the Packers come out on top in this one, and there's a couple reasons why. Um, the first reason is they're playing at home, and any team that we know that goes from a warm-weather climate to a Green Bay or any kind of cold-weather climate like that, they never perform up to their full capabilities. Um, They're talking about possibly snow for this game. And coming from Tampa, Florida, I don't think, just like us in Southern California, I don't think they know what snow is. Um, It might be the first time they've ever seen it. So I'm going the Packers on that one because of that. I'm also going the Packers because I trust Aaron Rodgers more than I trust Tom Brady at this point. Yeah, I think we made a big deal last week, too, about the Rams coming into 35-degree weather. We're looking at 28-degree weather with 50% chance of snow, so that that's even more extreme than last week. Yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be a great game, though. Great weekend of sports, um, great weekend of football. Can't wait for Sunday and looking forward to those games. So um, a while back, uh, we went to check out another brewery in Redlands. So last week we talked about Ritual Brewing, and we went to another one. I think it was on the same day. Um, it was Escape Brewing. And let me just say that the vibe there is awesome. You go there, and it's like this tropical, really escape from the world when you're in there. Um, they got multiple rooms um, with all different kind of artifacts from all over the world. Um, kind of feel like you're on vacation in some kind of tropical paradise when you're there. Um, but we tried some of their beers and we couldn't necessarily say that there was one specific beer that was, you know, standing out to us that we would go back and and try again, but definitely the, the atmosphere has to give it some points. Um, what was your guys' overall, uh, 
experience there at the brewery. Yeah, I mean, as far as the service and the beer, I would definitely give it a thumbs down. I wasn't stoked about it. Um, there was there's nothing there that caught my attention. The ABV and taste uh, mixture just wasn't there for me. But no, you're right, man. I mean, it was one of the cooler places that we've been to. It was really unique. It had a bunch of games there. It had a lot of like uh, re like they reused a lot of things to make it into other things. Like you saw window shades made as tables, stuff like that. They had a nice food truck there, but I mean, it's hard to find a good mixture of good quality and a cool spot. Uh, we definitely got a cool spot. We didn't get good quality of service or beer. Um, so that, that's kind of my take there. I'm going to tell you one thing about this place. If you're looking for a day of drinking and you are in Redlands, this has got to be, middle to lower tier in the Redlands area. There's just so much competition. Um, but is it enjoyable? Is there definitely uh, food trucks there to make it exciting? Definitely pre-COVID, that's when we went, and it was great. Um, but it's always about the company that you're with. Sure. So with this brewery, um, I had a couple decent beers, just not beers that I'm falling in love with. Uh, and then the, the next week, one of my good friends shows up with a growler full of uh, this cherry chocolate fantasy stout. I mean, an 11.5 heavy hitter. And that was probably the best thing out of anything that I tasted, even though that the on location, it was just okay. But uh, I, I still would recommend you taste it and you tell us what you think. Because and this, might be this was so long ago that we went and we always, we want to support local businesses. We know it's t- tough during COVID right now and people are, um, you know, struggling a little bit, but we, on this podcast, we want to give you an honest review of what we think of the places that we try, because we don't want to send you to a place that, um, you know, was a, was a bad recommendation. I wouldn't say that this is a bad recommendation. I wouldn't say that this is a place that you should avoid. But this definitely of the places that we've been recently um, was not one that had any one beer or two beers that we would be in a rush to go back to get. Um, But definitely a cool atmosphere. If you're out on a Friday night drinking, you need a good spot. um, Go check it out just because I think it's worth um, going there just for the atmosphere. I think the atmosphere is great. They have a lot of different table games um, that you can play. And and I think you'd have a good time there. Um, we will post some pictures on our Instagram, so go check it out so you guys can see what the atmosphere looks like for yourself. And then who knows? You know, we went there a couple months ago. Maybe they have some new beers um, that are a little bit better that we didn't get to try. Um, so definitely yeah, check it but, out. Let me let me tell you. I'll tell you the positive of this place, okay? This is the positive. This is the place that you go and take your girlfriend or your wife, and they can sit there and look at the pretty lights and the cool tables and play the video games while you get drunk on crappy beer. You know what? That's important because sometimes it's hard to convince the wife or girlfriend to go out there and, and spend a night drinking with you when they don't like beer. Um, so you got to have that something extra. And I think this place maybe does have that something extra to catch their attention and, and make them want to want to hang out for a little bit. And one last point, though, facilities are large and it wasn't just like a huge industrial building like some breweries that you go to. It had like a not like a restaurant vibe, but it had this huge stage. So, you know, it's ready for a party and there was plenty of tables and it's like a two, it's like two different like uh, units and they combined them together and they have these huge garage doors that open to the outdoors. So, I mean, they could easily fit 300, uh, 300 people there. Pretty yeah. Close. Hopefully someday soon uh, we'll, we'll be able to get to close to 300 people there again. Um, so what we like to do, like I said before, is we like to take the breweries that we go to. We like to find something about that brewery that we can relate to sports. So what we're going to be talking about today is our top sports escapes of all time. Um, Drew, you want to go first? Yeah, my top uh, escape in sports of all time, the 2013 Iron Bowl, a.k.a. Kick 6. I don't know if you guys remember this. Auburn versus Alabama. Auburn came back to tie the game at 28-28. Nick Saban challenges a play that would have ended regulation and set the game into overtime. The challenge was successful and left one second on the clock to attempt a 57-yard field goal. And then Auburn's Chris Davis, he catches the short field goal and he takes it back 109 yards for a touchdown. And I think the best part about this was the announcer's call on it. 
Auburn's going to win the football game. The excitement in his voice was, and I'm not a college football fan really by any means, but watching that, it really gave me goosebumps and I was super excited. Little fun fact about this game. Uh, Chris Davis, he tied the record for the longest kick uh, returned. Can you guys guess? And, and it was also uh, the record was set that season. Can you guys guess who set that record? Um, 2013. Going way back in the books. Mm. I uh, honestly don't know. You got me. You got me flustered. I, I, I That's all right. That you you can say I don't know. <laughs> But it was Odell Beckham Jr. earlier that year. He had a 100-yard uh, kick uh, return, and he tied it. It was actually 109 yards, but they credited it for 100 yards. That's an Do you awesome... guys remember that game, though? Wasn't that the I do. craziest game ever? I do. That was – honestly, it's, it, it will live in sports history. Auburn's going to win the football game. That... Auburn's going to win the football game. It was incredible. That Greatest call, call ever. That call might – you know, it was definitely an amazing play on its own, but that call probably made it legendary. Yeah. Shout out Gene Lundquist, or Vern Lundquist, excuse me. I I agree. Uh, George, what about yours? What's your greatest sports escape of all time? Uh, Greatest sports escape of all time has to be Manchester United in 1999, playing against Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. I mean, there are no goals until after the 90th minute. Then Bayern Munich scores. Uh, And then Terry... Sheringham scores for Manchester United, ties it up. And uh, there's a huge significance to this game because this is the game that allows Manchester United, if they win it, to get the treble, which was winning three trophies, huge trophies in one year. And my guy, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, one of the greatest to ever do it. I mean, he heads the ball in. And an extra time, and 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 it gets the winner. I mean, you just see this baby face assassin. That's what you call Ole Gunnar. And now he's the Man- uh, Manchester United boss. I mean, that's what they call the the managers in in England. He's the boss. And I mean, he scores that goal. I mean, it could have been a regular 1999 double instead of the treble. And it was the first treble in uh, in in major European football. So it was a huge deal. Since then, you know, Bayern Munich has dominated and, and had a couple of troubles. But before then, 1999, it was the biggest escape and, you know, saved the day for Manchester United. And uh, go ahead, Jason, what's your favorite or biggest? So this one escape? is uh, probably going to live in sports lore for, for eternity as well. Um, I picked Eli Manning in the Super Bowl 2008 where he completes the pass to David Tyree. So uh, on that play, it was third and 10. The Patriots were up 14 to 10 with a minute and 15 seconds left. Uh, The Giants had the ball driving uh, at their own 40-yard line. And I think three Patriots had a chance to sack Eli Manning on that play. And somehow he escapes out of all of those tackles and just heaves the ball into the air. And somehow David Tyree catches the ball on his helmet, pins it between his hands and his helmet, and makes the catch at around the 25-yard line. And then we all know that uh, he throws the touchdown pass on the next play to end up defeating, at the time, I believe, the Patriots were undefeated. Um, and that was supposed, that was supposed mm-hmm, to be correct. the first ever team to go 16-0 and because the Dolphins went undefeated, but they didn't play 16 games in, the, in those days. Um, so it's going to be the first team to ever go through a 16 game season undefeated and go through, um, the playoffs undefeated and, and somehow Eli Manning escapes three tackles and heaves the ball up to David Tyree. They end up winning the Super Bowl, And I think it'll go down as one of the greatest escapes in all of sports history. Beautiful, beautiful moment. I remember that vividly. I think it was one of the greatest moments of all Super Bowl History. Yeah, I mean, it'll live on in infamy. I'll be honest with you guys. I, I didn't even watch that game. <laughs> you missed out on that. It was probably one of the best know, Super Bowls ever. I know. I really was wasn't game. super into sports until like 2010 when the Lakers won the championship. That's when I really like locked into sports and became a fanatic. Um, anything since like after 2010, I've been just diehard about. Well, if you ever have a chance, go on YouTube and just watch. Oh, the I mean, play. It's, it's oh yeah, I've I've I seen mean, the play. It's unbelievable play, and yeah, Eli Manning, you know, 
took care of business in the Super Bowl. And yeah, I know they wrote a book about that play. I mean, that it, it's a crazy play. Exactly. So we always end the show here with uh, our hate to see it for the week. I, I can go first. I think George is maybe still thinking of his. So my hate to see it of the week was Jeremy Pruitt, who was the uh, University of Tennessee football coach. And he got let go um, because of some level one and level two recruiting violations. Um, there was some uh, reports out there that he was handing recruits money inside of McDonald's bags. Oh, I heard about that. They fired him with cause, which allows the University of Tennessee to get out of his $12 million buyout so they don't have to pay him. And so I think he's probably going to sue to try to get his money. But that's not really – a coach getting fired is not really my hate to see it. My hate to see it is the fact that we still pretend like college football is this pure and um, like unadulterated thing that nobody cheats, nobody steals, nobody lies – like it's it's like we're going to church on a Sunday, and that's what we expect all these these uh, coaches and colleges to act like. We are not blind, we are not stupid. We know what's going on in college football. Just get rid of the rules, and let these guys make their money. They already are doing it. Let's just pretend like we're not saints here, and let's go ahead and uh, you know see the elephant in the room and stop punishing these coaches for doing what everybody else is doing. They're just getting caught doing it. Yeah, I think that sucks that you taint that guy's name when, I mean, the school, you damn well know that school knows exactly what's going on. And now they have to go and save face by firing the coach when, I mean, they know what's happening. So, yeah, that is, that is pretty sad. Obviously, I think everyone's in agreement other than, like, the schools itself and the NCAA that – those players should be getting paid because they're really not amateur athletes when they're drawing this this much attention and this many viewers for, I mean, a profit. So, yeah, I mean, I think everyone's in agreement they should be getting paid at this the point. Amount, the amount of money that is in college football to kind of deny these kids any opportunity to make any money when they're not allowed to get jobs because basically playing the sport is their job. Yeah. A lot of people are going to argue that, oh, well, they get a free education. Well, most of them aren't there for that. They are if not the, there if, for their if yeah, the cultural elite, studies class. If they're the elite athletes, they're not there for that. They're there to play football. They're there to make the school money. Let them get paid. And it was literally this afternoon. I was scrolling through TikTok and I saw one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. There is now a website that you can go on and recruits that are coming in for next year. People from those schools, like maybe not coaches or anything, but like donors for, for certain schools can go on and make donations to players to go to a specific school. So let's just say the number one quarterback recruit right now. If you are University of Alabama and you're a donor, you can go on this website and you can put $500 into this uh, pot. And if the number one quarterback ends up committing – to your school, he gets whatever pot was raised from that school after he graduates. So it's crazy right now. The, the totals are pretty low. The, the highest one I saw was about $10,000 for some kid. I think that's amazing. That's awesome. Let's see who the highest bidder is. Cause that's already what it is. College football is already the haves and have nots. Look who wins it every year, Alabama. So let's, Let's stop pretending like we need some kind of parity or some kind of like equal playing field. There is not an equal playing field in college football. There's like five teams every year that have a chance to win it and everybody else is fighting for scraps. So let's just like open it up and have it be the wild west and see who can pay these guys the most money. I think it'd be an awesome competition to watch. I'm all for it. I like it. Wow. You hate, but you hate to see, it. you hate to see coaches still getting fired <laughs> for things that everybody else is doing. Yeah, and their <laughs> reputation ruined. All right, Drew, let's let's go ahead and hear your hate to see it for the week. All right. You hate to see Lions head coach Dan Campbell, new head coach, by the way, threaten cannibalism on another team, okay? In a press conference today introducing the coach, okay, this is a quote that he had. Quote, we're going to kick you in the teeth, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you, and when you knock us down, we're going to get up, and on the way up, we're going to bite off a kneecap. What? Listen, this is this is the kind of stuff you say for the locker room. This, this isn't 
This isn't something you tell the media and let them run with. What What do you think they're going to say during this entire offseason about him wanting to bite people's kneecaps off? You, you hate to see that. I mean, I've heard rumors. You, well, I've heard rumors floating around that he's going to get cadavers from Cedar Sinai and feed it to his offensive lineman. I mean, these kind of rumors are already out there. Okay, so I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the greatest idea to threaten cannibalism on another team. You hate to see it. I think you hate to see a brand new coach yeah. in the NFL already take an L on day one of having the job. Dude, this guy, they, they need to start. I already testing. think he's 0 and 1 before he even played a game. Dude, they, they need to test these coaches for PEDs. This guy's obviously on t- testosterone treatment. Okay, this guy's this guy's the most jacked coach out in the league right now. Okay. This guy has more testosterone He's than like, Joe Rogan. Do you bring me a baby? And people were questioning people were questioning that hire a- based on merit. Now I think they're really questioning that hire after what he said today. I you, you just hate to see someone blow up their first pre- press conference. Do they like put that. do they put them through psychological Dude. evaluations before they hire these guys or do they just do a 10-hour interview and and decide that he's fit for the job? I've heard these interviews can go for 24 to 48 hours. I mean, um who's the guy over there uh, at, at the Dallas Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, he went he went over to uh, Jerry Jones's house and he stayed the night. I mean, what Dan Campbell did was said, "Hey, I'm the alpha." If you don't give me this job, I'm biting your knee. I don't know if I don't know if I'd stay at Jerry Jones' house for 24 hours to try to get a job. I don't know. That sounds that sounds like a nightmare to me. What's that phone call like? What's that phone no, call like? Understand. Jerry Jones says, "Hey, man, bring your sleeping bag. You're gonna be here for a while." <laughs> You're talking about one of the richest mans on earth, dude. You would drink anything that he offers you because it's probably gonna be worth more than what we can afford right now. And it's going to be some of the best chefs cooking it up. I mean, why wouldn't you go to Jerry Jones' house? I mean, uh, that I mean, hey I man, we like can skinny dip in the jacuzzi later if like you want. The treatment. That's what I'd be worried about. That's what I'd be worried about. <laughs> I don't see that being happening. Uh, here, here's my you hate to see it moment, and this is going to be more uh, even even sadder or negative than than what you guys had to say was the. Um, Jared Porter, the the the, the terrible he, human that he is. I mean, he was sending all these text messages to the reporter, explicit images. You know, he's like sending pictures of the hotel. Hey, come hang out with me. Hey, she's obviously not into you, bro. When somebody's not into you, please stop. When somebody says no, please stop. Then he goes over and sends more pictures. I mean, inappropriate. I mean... You just hate to see it when guys don't know how to control themselves. I am a huge proponent. Like, if you can't treat women like you would treat your daughter, don't spend time with women or try to seek after them. Figure out what's going on in your brain before you go out and uh, hurt women's uh, livelihoods or their their you know opportunity to have a good day. Uh, you just hate. So if you don't know it. who this guy is, he just took over the Mets GM job. And got fired before he even completed a full first season um, because he sent unsolicited uh, texts to an uh, international reporter. But this is my question. How many texts do you have to send before you get the picture that they're not into you? I think he's, they said he sent 62 uh, unres- <laughs> un- unanswered texts unanswered. to one person. Like, I think after like two or three, I'm, I get the picture. They don't want to talk to me and they're not interested. How many do you have to send before you're like, okay, uh, I probably should stop. Yeah. Well, personally it's 15 for me. Um, but I mean, honestly, there, there's no real funny way to spin this. This is kind of disgusting. And unfortunately it's pretty prevalent in the sports industry. Um, it's good that it's coming out. I mean, you got to get, get rid of the guys that are kind of pervs in, in this industry and, Move on, move on to the ones that are trying to do right and do good for their for their teams and not put a bad name on them and a black eye on the sport. Hey, you just hate to see it when when guys or men or women are abusive to or towards other people. I'm just just got to but you know what? Let's end this on the positive. You know what? This is episode number 2 of Backcourt BS. This is this has just been a, a blast. I, I I I just can't wait for next week. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a great championship weekend. We got Aaron Rodgers. We got Tom Brady. We got Josh Allen and maybe Patty Mahomes, which I mean, I love that guy. Hopefully he re- recovers. I mean, classy dude. 
Uh, obviously, still angry that he beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Could always, I mean, I'm never letting they had him go. Yeah, George, there's, but, there's never a chance in the world in that game. Hey, it's been a blast, guys. I always enjoy talking sports with you guys, talking beer with you guys, and I uh, can't wait to do it again next week. Love can't you guys. Wait. See you all soon. Peace Have a good out. night wherever you right. are. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Backcourt Brews and Sports Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Backcourt BS Podcast for all the latest BS and to see pictures from our trip to Escape Brewing. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you find your podcast so you never miss an episode. New episodes will be available every Friday. Thanks for BSing with us.